0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Ah, yes, it is that time of the week. Once again, time for the hot stove report. Happy as always to have you with us, Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. Gary, as always, you have lined up a fantastic show for us this week.
2: I'm really excited about this one. We've got a great show coming. Uh, two of our favorites are going to be here. The Mariners are well represented on this one. Jesse Smith, Joel Furman will be here, and they will break it down as only Mariners can.
1: Now, you're that's saying Mariners as in N-E-R-D-S. NERDS.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Thanks for spelling that out, <laughs> Mariners. Uh, that's going to be great. Uh, Sam Carlson is going to be here. We get asked about Sam Carlson all the time. We are going to hear from Sam Carlson directly. So that's going to come up in a few minutes. As we all know, the baseball bash went on for a couple of weeks and we are going to pick out a couple of our favorite sound bites from that. Some of our favorite moments. I Don't think we have audio of you eating relish, (laughs) but we have some good sounds, (laughs) so that'll be pretty great. We have an excellent listener question coming up, which I love for a lot of reasons, so we have that coming up, and... We have the headliner to begin the show, which I'm looking forward to.
1: We have a fantastic headliner, uh, a guy that we hear Jerry and Scott talk about very often this offseason. We look forward to seeing him in a Mariners uniform for a full season in 2021. Kind enough to join us from his home in San Diego. It is Mariners infielder Ty France, who begins the show for us tonight. Ty, it's great to see you. How are you? I'm doing well, guys. How are you doing? Doing very well, thanks. Hey, before we start diving into baseball and all this other stuff, Big off season for you. We just found out that you are a recently, or at least somewhat recently, engaged man. Congratulations! Tell us all about it. Yeah,
3: thank you. I Appreciate it. Um, yeah, we've we've been dating for about almost four years now, and uh, went on vacation with a couple friends to Anchorage, Alaska, and um, you know decided to pop the question out there. It was it was really cool. Were you nervous? I wasn't until. It was like we were pulling up to the spot, and I was like, "Okay, I'm about to get down on my knee," and then, then, it, then it hit me—the adrenaline rush—and um, no, I don't even really remember what I said to her when I asked her, and um, you no, know, it was such a whirlwind of emotions, but no, it was a great experience.
1: Yeah, I do find it funny, although I completely understand it—that someone who deals with adrenaline and nerves for a living <laughs> on one of the greatest stages. Uh, still feels nervous in everyday life but it is something unlike that you've ever done before so I completely understand it yeah definitely hey well we are we're looking forward to you being in a full season with the Mariners after the trade if I remember Ty when you found out that you were being traded from the Padres to the Mariners were you in the middle of your fantasy football draft I
3: was yeah we were uh, we had a Sunday day game in Colorado and um that evening we had our team fantasy football draft and about halfway through uh Jace had come over and tapped me on the shoulder and said, Hey, uh AJ wants to talk to you. Can you come up to my room? And so I had to leave the draft and uh AJ called and told me I was headed over
2: to Seattle. Did they stop the draft? Were you an auto draft the rest of the way? No, I
3: had two other guys on my on my team, so they kind of took over.
2: And how did how did it turn
1: out for you this season? That is,
3: we actually we missed playoffs by one game, so it was. I I blame being traded. It just kind of brought the whole team team morale down, and um, it wasn't the same after.
1: <laughs> hey, I, I'm I'm curious. I'm always curious for a player who gets traded mid season, especially somebody traded for the first time. This is unventured territory for you. What that is like when you are trying to uproot your personal and professional life, and yet there is not much leeway given for uh, oh, understanding that uh, you're dealing with life right now. You're dealing with finding a place to live, how to get your stuff from one city to the other. Uh, you have family involved as well. But how you do that during COVID last year in terms of finding a place to live, that must have made it 10 times as challenging. What was that process like for you?
3: Yeah. I mean, it definitely wasn't easy. You know, San Diego has been pretty much home for me um, since college. So uh, to have to leave here, it was definitely not easy, but um, you know, I don't want to say thankfully, but it was only a two month season. So there wasn't really much searching we had to do. Um, we just kept our place here in San Diego. And then when I went to Seattle, um, I pretty much just lived in the hotel for the last three weeks of the season. So it wasn't, too hard, but now trying to get everything rolling for a full season, it makes it a little tougher.
2: You know, whenever we talk to Jerry or Scott this offseason, and when they talk about you, they talk about you getting consistent at-bats through the course of the season. And they, you know, they talk about you moving around a little bit different spots, but the at-bats are going to be there. How excited are you about the on the field opportunity, you know, is coming your way this year?
3: Yeah, no, I definitely am. Um, you know, to finally, get that full 162, hopefully this year. And, um, just to have that comfort of knowing, you know, this organization wants me and they want me in the lineup every day. You know, it's a, it's a huge boost for me. And, uh, know, I'm definitely looking forward to this challenge.
1: Ty France is our guest on the hot stove report. Ty a popular comparison, at least here in Seattle amongst the fan base, and maybe even uh, broader than just here in the Northwest when looking at the Mariners is the Padres and where the Padres were, what they've been built into, and obviously one of the most exciting teams in a playoff team last year. And you've been with them during this whole surge, getting to where they are before the trade. I'm curious, as you look at the Mariners now and you see what the Padres have become, is there something, aside from talent, we know the Padres are littered with, with talent throughout the lineup and throughout the field, but is there something, an intangible that you experienced or felt while with the Padres, that you in your time spent with the Mariners, you see, hey, this is either there already with the Mariners, or this is something that is beginning to blossom and bud in Seattle.
3: Yeah, no, definitely, I, I do see similarities. Um, you know, and I, I think I've said this a few times. Um, just being there, my short time in Seattle, you know, it doesn't feel like we're far off. Um, we have that good core young group. Um, you know, we're just missing a couple pieces that I think will really help take this team to the next level. And, um, we really aren't far off. Um, you know, the Padres, like you said, they've done a great job from, you know, 2015 on, um, to get to where they are now. And, uh, it was pretty cool to experience the growth there. And, you know, like I said, I really don't feel like we're far off here in Seattle.
2: You as a hitter, what do you consider your strengths are? Um, I think
3: for me, I'm just, you know, I I'm pretty good at putting the bat on the ball. Um, you know, I I like to as much as I can um you know do damage and um you know, I'm I'm pr- I'm pretty good at laying off of good pitchers pitches and just putting barrel on the ball and um you know it's thankfully it's carried me to where I am now.
2: We have a couple of analytics guys on the show this week and they are in love with you as a player. They're they are big <laughs> fans of you. How much do you lean on analytics, how much do you look at that kind of thing? Uh, as a hitter
3: i'll be honest with you guys i'm i'm not a very analytic person i don't really look into much of that i'm kind of more old school and just kind of go out there and play the game um i know it's a huge part of of the new style of baseball but i feel like there's a lot as a player you can kind of get lost if you're looking at all that stuff so for me i try to keep it simple and just go out and play
1: yeah ty when we hear scott service talk about the profile of a Mariners hitter and what they look for. It starts with swing decisions, right? Are you swinging at the right pitch? And then when you do swing, do you make contact? And then if you make contact, are you doing damage with that? So starting from the beginning of that with swing decisions, essentially what you just referenced, how did you learn to be more decisive than maybe you were in an earlier part in your career, whether it be as a professional or as an amateur, how did that progress for you?
3: Actually, I think it came... Uh, a lot last year. Um, you know, last year we had brought Tommy Pham over to San Diego and, um, what he had learned with the Rays was to be very stubborn with your approach. And, um, he came into spring training and he said, kind of said, Hey guys, this is how things, things are going to be over here. We're going to be stubborn. And, you know, I really took that to heart and, um, really tried to implement that in my game. And, uh, you know, I, I think it helped me a lot last
1: year. Ty France is our guest on the hot stove report. I love this notion that Tommy Pham shared with you of being stubborn. It does seem, and and Pham is a veteran, a guy who's been around and has really come into his own in recent years. It seems easier to say than to necessarily implement. Mm -hmm. That would seem like something, being able to hit with two strikes seems like something that would be maybe one of the key ingredients to being stubborn at the plate. What is it that makes that hard to do but easy to say?
3: Um, I think as a hitter, you just kind of, you fall into traps and, um, you, a lot of guys think you're only going to get one good pitch to hit. And, you know, the more stubborn you can be, the more likely you are to get more pitches to hit. And I think for us in San Diego, we were okay with, you know, going down O2, knowing we were still going to get something to hit. And if we did go down O2, it was just a fight. And, um, you know, we kind of just took that mentality and, you know, it it definitely helped a lot. It, you know, pitchers were out of pitches in the fourth, fifth inning, and you're in their bullpen in the first game instead of the second game, and it you know it just it helps throughout the season.
1: When we come back, we've got more with Mariners infielder Ty France. That's straight ahead on the Hot Stove Report. Here's a swing and a high fly ball deep left field. Going back, looking up, Rojas, and that one is gone. Goodbye, baseball. Ty France with his third home run of the season and his first in a Mariners uniform. And it's now the Diamondbacks four, the Mariners three, and there is number one for Ty France as a Seattle Mariner. Hot stove report rolls along Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill, joined once again by Mariners infielder Ty France. Ty, we we are eager to dig a little bit into life even before pro ball. Uh, As you referenced earlier, your, your California guy, San Diego guy, you stayed home to go to school at, at San Diego State University. One of our first questions that we, we came up with for you is, why were you drafted in the 34th <laughs> round? <laughs> your, your college numbers were, at worst, good. <laughs> right. what, ha- what happened?
3: I, I wish I had an answer for you guys. I, I really don't know. Um, no, I, I had an agent at the time that, had told me, you know, going into my junior years, looking anywhere between rounds three and eight. Um, And clearly that didn't happen. And, you know, I I really don't have an answer for you guys. I I don't know. The only thing I can maybe link it up to was um, after my sophomore year, I had labrum surgery, um, but played a full junior year, fully healthy. So, you know, I, I really don't know the answer.
2: What was it like playing for Tony Gwynn at San Diego state? Um, you know, I mean, obviously it was unbelievable, but
3: he was real adamant about, you know, walking onto campus day one and he was not, you know, Tony Gwynn, the great baseball player, he was Coach Gwynn, and, you know, he kind of took that like father figure role for us and said, you know, I'm not here to be a superstar. I'm here to help you be a superstar. So that was one of the cool things that I thought that he did, um, that, you know, really helped us as 18 year old kids away from home for the first time. And it wasn't even about like all the baseball stuff. He, you know, obviously helped us on the field, but it was off the field stuff that, you know, hit home for a lot of us.
1: How long did it take though, Ty, for that star power to kind of wear off? I imagine the first time that he met you face to face recruiting you, there was kind of a knock you over with a feather type of moment that couldn't have dissipated quickly.
3: No, it didn't. But like I said, you know, he did a really good job of making sure like, oh. you know, he, we didn't feel that like starstruck, like feeling over him. Um, you no, know, he was, he'd be the first one to sit down and talk stories with you all day long. But when it came time for work and being out on that field, it was, you know, very strict coach Quinn. So.
2: It's still hard to believe he's, not with us. I mean, growing up in the area, you went to San Diego state, you San Diego guy, and he passed away while he was your coach. I mean, what did he mean to San Diego? What did he mean to that area? I mean, he's still
3: to this day, you know, a legend here. Um, You know, one of the hardest parts for me um, was at the end, middle end of sophomore year um, we had known he was like, pretty much done coaching, um, for the rest of that year. But at the end of the year, um, whenever we had asked about him, it was, Oh, he was doing better. He's doing good. Um, you know, hopefully he'll come back and coach next year. And then I stayed home that summer and had the surgery uh, on my labrum and woke up to the news that he had passed away. So it was a complete like shock for all of us. And I think I was the only player at the time on campus. Um, so I got a call from coach Martinez and he said, Hey, a couple of news reporters would like to talk to you. Can you come over to the field? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I I walked over to the field and there was probably hundred to 150 TV cameras there. And, um, it was just, I was so caught off guard. And I think that's when it started to feel real. Like he, he was gone. Um, but you know, his, his legacy lives on, um, here in San Diego and at San Diego state. Um, you know, he, he did a great job of, you know, being involved in the community and being involved at the school. And, you know, he's, he's greatly missed, but, you know, we definitely still feel his presence here.
1: Ty, I know it was a while ago at this point, your college years, that is, but was there something uh, that you still carry with you in terms of hitting advice that he gave you during your time, your two years with him?
3: Yeah. I mean, he, he was a different, different breed. Um, You know, he at 52, 53 years old, whatever he was was sitting in the dugout during games. And as soon as the pitcher's hands would break, he'd be able to tell you what pitch was coming. So that's just how good his eyes were and everything. But one thing that like from day one, when you walk on campus, he simplified hitting so much and, You know, as an 18 year old kid, you don't really understand, like, you know, all hitting is, is really just getting in a good position and taking a good swing. Um, And so you, you, you want more from him. That's all you want. You know, you were the greatest hitter of all time. Like, give me more. I need more. But he was really good at just simplifying things and making the game simple.
2: When Edgar Martinez was the hitting coach with the Mariners, there were stories where he'd jump in the cage randomly and he could still do everything that he did when he was a player. Did you ever see Tony Gwynn jump in the cage?
3: Yeah, he did that. He did that to us. I believe it was my freshman year. Um, you know, we were struggling as a team. Uh, I think we were hitting like 210 maybe as a team. And he just got fed up with it and hopped in the cage. And Coach Martinez was throwing throwing batting practice and he said – you know, he'd call out where he was going to hit a you know, double to left center, double to right center, single through the f- five, six hole. And then like the last pitch, he goes, Mark, watch out and hits a you know sm- smoking line drive right past his head. Um, and then walks out of the cage and he goes, see guys, it's not that hard. <laughs> and
2: left, left us with that. It was like, Oh, all right. You just got to be Tony Gwynn. It's easy. Yeah, yeah exactly.
1: We have a few minutes left with Mariners infielder Ty France, who's kind enough to join us tonight on the Hot Stove Report. Ty, we want to dig into your name a mm-hmm. little bit here. We, we're we trying to figure out if there are falsified records or there's alternate identification cards out there for you. Obviously, you go by Ty. Uh, Gary did some deep dive research. Gary, what you find early in
2: college life for Ty? Okay. Tyler early in your San Diego state career, at least that's what it was listed as.
3: Yeah. So Tyler's my, just my birth name. No one calls me that really, but my mom. Um, and when I showed up to San Diego state, for some reason, that's what they put on the, the lineup card. So I just kind of rolled with it until I felt comfortable telling them like, Hey, my name, uh, go by Ty.
1: <laughs> I guess we, we do need to tell Ty that we've never referred to you as this formally on the air, but we do really like the sound of ty france ty
3: france <laughs> i have so so many names that people call me i mean, just add it to the list
1: uh, that doesn't sound like a no to me gear i don't know about you <laughs> that sounds like go with it guys
3: <laughs> i'm all for it if, if if you guys like it i'm all for it
2: i mean there was a home run call too that somebody said viva la france on the home run call are you are you game for having fun with your name or is it, uh, guys, I've heard everything. You're idiots. No,
3: I mean, <laughs> I'm all for it. I, I've, I have heard a lot. Um, I remember in short season in 2015, um, I was we were on the road. I don't remember what team exactly. Hillsborough Hops, I believe it was. Um, and they gave me a walk-up song and it was the French national anthem. So <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard it all. But if you guys can come up with some new material, I'd love to hear it.
1: Ty, have you ever been to France?
3: I haven't. No, that's on the bucket list. Hopefully, uh, this upcoming off season.
1: Oh, really? Like that, this is you, you and your fiance have, have formally talked about this?
3: Yeah, yeah. We want to do like all of Europe and stuff like that. So it's definitely on the uh, on the bucket list.
1: Gary, what do you think uh, the guys at customs will do when they look at Ty's passport?
2: I feel like the whole thing should be sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean. I- there's a perfect tie-in.
3: <laughs> I think Air France should give us a free flight.
2: Oh,
1: Air France! This is now this tie. I'm t- we're we're taking that from you. I like Air France. <laughs> That's good. That's very good. Ty, uh, hey man, it's been great to catch up with you, and we are so looking forward to seeing a full season of Ty France in a Mariners uniform. And we're pumped that you're part of the organization. Thank you for spending so much time with us here tonight.
3: Yeah, of course, guys, anytime. And, you know, definitely looking forward to getting out there this year and hopefully get a full 162
1: in. That's Mariners infielder Ty France. We're right back with the Hot Stove Report. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill with you here on the Hot Stove Report. We are coming off the two week Mariners baseball bash. It was a remarkably successful celebration of Mariners baseball virtually, where we heard from 60 members of the Mariners organization. It was absolutely incredible. We heard from a, a lot of active big leaguers for the Mariners and a number of Young minor league prospects, one of those guys, Jared Kelnick, took part in a Mariners virtual media session. And Lawrence Smith of the Tacoma News Tribune had this really great question for Jared Kelnick about what it was like facing one of the top pitching prospects in the game, Logan Gilbert, day after day, all summer long at the alternate site in Tacoma.
4: You know, it was a lot of fun uh, just because, like, he's an extreme competitor.
1: Uh, there's no two ways
4: about that and he actually was my locker neighbor so um, the benefit of having somebody that is so talented and um, is so educated in the game that after and he'll he'll tell you too like after we would um, have our games him and I would sit down and whether he beat me or I beat him uh, we would sit down and kind of walk through the at bat and I would ask him like you know why would you Like, did I show you something in, like, my take um, for you to uh, throw me a pitch in this count? And then he would ask questions to me, like, you know, why were you sitting on that pitch or something like that? And it's really uh, it was really beneficial, considering the fact that Logan is extremely talented and smart to pick his brain, um, because then it's only going to snowball.
1: Well, that question got a terrific answer from Jared Kelnick. And along those lines, part of the Mariners baseball bash, we had a chance to catch up with none other than Logan Gilbert. So when we talked to Logan that very same day, we wanted to find out
5: Logan's side of the story. Yeah, he nailed it. Uh everything he said, it was spot on. Um, I think it was very unique because usually you're facing another team that, you know, you kind of, like you don't you don't get the chance to speak to anybody after the game about what just happened. And uh, like he said, we we're next to each other in the same locker room. So and, of course, um, Jerry, like, you know, everybody knows how good he is and what he brings to the game. So I know that he knows what he's talking about and, and what he sees in the box. So naturally, I want to get the upper hand in the future when it's somebody else in the box. And I did something that maybe uh, he thought a particular pitch might be coming or he tracked a pitch well or something like that. Um, maybe I threw one that I I think I remember he took a slider or something like that, and I just had – I didn't know why he took it. I was I was like – you should have swung at that. So then naturally, I want to go back in. I'm like, what did you see? What what made it so easy to take that? So we learned a lot from each other, I think.
1: You know, Gary, when I hear these two guys talking about facing each other as many times as they did and this iron sharpens iron mentality, these are two guys who are seen to be, for good reason, future pillars of the franchise. And to me, it's so cool to think about how their relationship started, or at least some of the early days that were forged in Tacoma.
2: Now, there's no doubt. And I was thinking as I'm listening to this, I was kind of playing it forward in my mind. You know, what if these two guys are like on an all star team together or something and we listen back to this audio? This is audio that's going into the vault. We're going to be saving this for a while because I feel like this is going to be something we're going to revisit down the road. And Iron, that's a great way to put it. That is an exact perfect way to put it when you talk about these two guys, I think.
1: Yeah, it it was not ideal, the alternate sites for all the teams around Major League Baseball, but moments like this, you don't get those types of matchups as often as you get them during the course of a regular season, which everyone would have preferred a regular season, obviously, but this was at least maybe a minor silver lining to have uh, Logan Gilbert versus Jared Kelnick, part 32.
6: (laughs) That's
2: right. And when you have a hyper-competitive guy like Kelnick who needs that competitive outlook, it's great to have a guy like Gilbert there. provide that
1: hey one other really fun element of the many fun elements of the Mariners virtual baseball bash the last couple of weeks was we got to kind of bring the band back together a little bit we had a new episode of inside corner live Uh, myself Marco Gonzalez and this week our guest was Mariners pitcher Kendall Graveman who In our brief interactions with Kendall during the truncated 2020 season, we could tell he was a a terrific guy with a really good personality and a lot of fun things to talk about. And, man, did we ever find out when we had a chance to sit down on YouTube and talk things over with Kendall Graveman. One of the things I asked Kendall specifically is, what is Marco like on the days that he starts?
7: Man, guys, he comes in, I mean, laser focused. Like, he looks straight through you. You don't even know anybody else in the locker room. Walks in, locker, gets whatever he needs on for the day, and headphones. Like, don't talk to me. And one of the most impressive things I've ever seen is how somebody can stay locked in for, like, six straight hours. (laughs) Most guys will get locked in an hour before the game. He's three hours before the game, and it works. He doesn't get tired of being locked in it's fifth, sixth inning, and it's the same like laser focus as it was five and a half hours earlier. My brain, I can't do it. And (laughs) I'm like, I got to laugh a little bit. I got to talk to somebody. But it just speaks to the volume. Like it speaks to who he is and how he's able to mentally get in that position. And and we've talked about it before. I can turn the light switch on and off a little bit. Once his light switch is on for the day, especially the day that he's starting, it's got to stay on. And some guys are like that, some guys are like myself, but um, to be that intentional and knowing that his homework's done, Hayes in the barn, like it's time to go play. And now I just got to make sure that my mental side of it is right. And when that mental side's right for Marco, he knows it and everyone else knows it. And then you, it's, the exact is true when it's not. Um, you grind through some starts and we'll talk about it afterwards. He's like, man, I just, Mentally, I was a little off today. I just wasn't as locked in as I usually am. And to be able to find that spot over and over and over and consistently do that is one of the toughest things to do in sports. I I tried to do it my whole whole starting career. And out of the bullpen, it's a little different. I got to lock it in for 15 minutes. And as a starter, it gets really difficult. And the guys that can do it are the best. And the guys that can't, that's where you see the inconsistency um so man marco congrats for being able to do it but it's a
8: tough gig i feel like there was like some compliments in there but also like <laughs> you like man this dude is kind of crazy like i don't know about it but you, uh, be.
7: you would agree yeah, you gotta be a little crazy no
8: man. i uh i agree with you man you have to be a little a little a little off the chain sometimes but uh no i i He's right. He's absolutely 100% right. And and I don't know where that started for me. I think just I've, I've had this, uh, I've had this fire, this like intensity inside of me for a long time. And I, when I get, when I, it's my turn to pitch, like it's uncontrollable. It's out there. And the only way I can not hurt my, my teammates, those around me is I just got to be internal with it and just go light the fire. And, and I remember this year, JP was giving me a hard time because I'm sitting there after the game. I think I went, like, six or seven innings and and pitched pitched okay. We won the game, and um, I'm sitting there at my locker. It was a getaway day. I'm sitting there at my locker just, like, still, like, backpack, you know, suitcase, and we're getting ready to catch the bus to the plane, and I'm sitting there just, like, quiet. And JP, I noticed him three lockers down. He's sitting there just looking at me. He's like, you can't get out of it. He's like, you're still those like, – he's like the game's over man like they the other team left already like they're gone stop like move on man and I'm like I, I don't know and this was in like late September when I was just you know how I was I was hot I was just wanting to push and, and wanting to, to keep going and I feel like 60 innings wasn't enough like I'm, I'm ready to go and um yeah it's it's just what you're gonna get man but I love that my teammates know they know me by now and I, I guess just hope that I'm reliable and consistent, <laughs> I guess. Hey, you should hear
7: some of the positional players. They give the starting pitchers such a hard time. Oh, they're coming in with their headphones. They got to pitch once every five days. We have to do it every day. Oh, don't talk to me. And yeah. Seeger's like the leader of it. So, oh, look, here comes the starting pitcher with his headphones in. Don't talk to
8: him. Yeah.
7: <laughs> they a fun time with it, man. It's, those positional players, if you don't watch out, they'll be talking behind your back.
8: There are
1: so many things about that I enjoy. I don't know if people, even though Kyle Seeger has been with the Mariners forever and is more than a household name and is going to be a Mariners Hall of Famer, he's one of the greatest Mariners in franchise history. Gary, I don't know if people really know how snarky (laughs) (laughs) Seeger can be and the type of sneaky humor that Kyle has in the clubhouse. We see it sometimes when we're flies on the wall in there but the idea of Seeger making fun of the starters every day as they come in with their huge headphones, I was my favorite part of that whole thing.
2: The headphone imagery is perfect because it is right on just walking around with a face of stone, big headphones. It's just, the imagery is beautiful. So great.
1: It's it's funny. I I always do enjoy finding out from starters if they're wired the way that Marco is Mm -hmm. where don't talk to me. I'm in my zone or wired the way of Kindle, a little more loose and social gregarious on start days. I thought Kendall brought up a great point that I hadn't really thought of because I've never walked in those shoes is just how difficult the mental exhaustion it would take to be that focused for that duration of time. I mean, that's a, that's a different cat. If you're able to do that, like Marco does.
2: Oh, for sure. I, I always find it very awkward on, you know, like when we take the bus to the ballpark or something, and you see the starter that day get on the bus, and he he looks at you and says, "Hey," you're like, should, <laughs> hey should, should I talk to you? Should I talk to you? I mean, you said hi first, so I guess I'll say hi." But I, the it it is true you never really know what the guys like on pitching that day. But yeah, cause you're talking about a starter like Marco, like you're locked in for hours, right? From the time you get on the bus, which is hours before the game, doing all your pregame, you know, warming up that whole thing. You're talking hours and hours and hours. I don't have that kind of mental focus. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think many, many
1: humans do. It's, it's wired a different way, but it's cool to know as Kendall essentially pointed out without saying it, there's more than one ways to get it done, right? I mean, there are guys who've had great success doing it, both forms, both fashions. And there are probably some guys who are in the middle as well. But our thanks to Kendall Graveman and Marco Gonzalez for the Inside Corner live episode, which you can still find on the Mariners' YouTube channel. Hey, the Mariners Community Tour presented by Root Sports is back in 2021 and going virtual with public live streams. Tomorrow at 5 o'clock, you can join Jake Fraley, Wyatt Mills, as they pay visit to fans in Central and Eastern Washington. For more information, dates, and times, visit Mariners.com community tour when we come back on the hot stove report we get a chance to catch up with two of our favorite guys from within the front office the mariners a couple of guys from the analytics department jesse smith senior director of analytics joel Furman, recently named director of analytics and a cougar as well these guys love to dive deep into the numbers for what makes these mariners players great and we will talk things over with jesse and joel when we return Welcome back. The hot stove report continues Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. And uh, we are very pleased to be joined for a couple of segments by uh, two of our favorite guys within the front office, the uh, official Mariners of the ballpark. There are many Mariners. We we can't overlook. It's now a full fledged force of Mariners, but two of the top dogs, Jesse Smith, the Mariners senior director of analytics and Joel Furman, recently promoted to director of analytics. Uh, Jesse, we'll start with you. We haven't talked to you since the turn of the new year, my friend. It's great to see you. Great to be joined by you. Uh, how was your offseason going?
9: Great to be here. Thanks for having us, guys. Uh, all things considered, can't complain. Uh, really looking forward to getting back into society and uh, getting back to the stadium, watching some games. It's It's been strange to be uh, – I've been working from home entirely, and it's just been strange to be uh, so so distant from the team.
1: You know, doing doing well. Yeah, there is literally a black cat behind you and climbing the curtains. It looks like near Armageddon in your home right now. So I can understand. You know, the wife says
9: it's quarantine. We might as well get cats. And uh, (laughs) next thing you know, next thing you know, there's four in the
2: house.
6: I I was only briefed on, uh, Jesse getting one cat. And then we got on a video conference call and I saw four in the shot, uh, must've been an impulse buy. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Are there baseball themed names to the cats, Jesse? Uh,
9: no, the, the names are, are a combination of, uh, classical pianists and star Trek characters mostly, uh, (laughs) I think I think I've said enough. Uh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so a, you're not only a Mara nerd, but just yeah. a nerd in general. Is where we're we're taking the, this. The real deal. Oh, there's an albino cat. Hey, vine, there's another you know. one. Yeah, I just spotted a second. Uh, everyone will keep you posted for the next 25 <laughs> minutes as to what else we see in Jesse's background. Joel, it's great to see you. First of all, uh, you are for people who are hearing you for the first time. You're the pride of uh, Kent Lake High School of uh, Proud Cougar, like Gary, uh, you're a homegrown guy, and congratulations, man, with the promotion to director of analytics. I mean, you started at the very first steps of the analytic department for the Mariners, and you've climbed your way up. Uh, you are clearly a trusted resource and a valuable one at that for Jerry and his cohort, so congratulations on the promotion, my friend.
6: I appreciate it, Aaron. Yeah, thanks for for having us on here. I uh, Yeah, we were talking a little bit before that it, it's funny to think about. I don't I don't think I met anyone as a kid who was a bigger fan of the Mariners than I was and so um, you know just every day you get to work for for this team is um, is pretty special so I'm excited about it now
1: previously you were kind of the pitching guy with your new role is that still your focus or will you be more holistic to the whole analytic department
6: yeah good question I, I do think I will take more steps towards, you know, we're, we're growing as an analytics staff, um, adding some really talented analysts. And so I think I, I will take more steps towards kind of global h- helping analysts with things and um, prioritizing projects and, and thinking about the things that we want to research as a department. Also taking just some steps to thinking more globally about our baseball decisions, you know, where it used to be in-depth pitching analysis. Maybe it's more about overall player evaluation at, at all corners of the player pool um Aaron I see you shedding a tear over there I just want to let you know I'm still here for our uh pitch data weekly call um that's not going anywhere I'm, I'm here yeah Joel, the worst decision in Joel's
1: career was giving me his phone number <laughs> <laughs> you're always welcome well that's very kind of you. you you've been a a wonderful resource and I mean that wholeheartedly to, to us in the booth and being able to educate us so we can educate our listeners, uh, both of you guys. So the time you're giving us now, is just the tip of the iceberg, but I, I speak for Gary and everybody else. It's, it's been a tremendous, tremendous value to us in the booth. When you say, Gary? Absolutely. I mean,
2: we, <laughs> we lean on you guys all the time. When we have questions. And I mean, it is, it is truly helpful to have people on our phone. We can go to and say, what is really going on? Right now, and it, I can't. I can't tell you how much both of you have helped me as well. I really appreciate it. So, I, I think people understand analytics department, and they understand at a surface level what you do. But if you had to describe kind of a day to day what you do as a department, how would you describe that?
9: I should have a better answer for this, but I'm going to take a crack anyway. There's a few different parts of our job, and it it definitely the balance on the day to day changes with the calendar, uh, and the baseball season. But one area is that's kind of always ongoing is, is big picture research projects where we're trying to improve our, our tools for the front office decision makers, uh, to give them the best information about sort of looking forward estimates on player talent and how good we expect teams to be, uh, our team, opposing teams, that's ongoing. That will never stop. That's that's uh, an arms race of sorts that all teams are pretty vested in at this point. And then uh, depending on where we're at, there's a huge emphasis on player development, uh, building out probably more uh, instead rather than predictive tools, descriptive tools to help our coaches understand what's going on and for to help them communicate to our players in turn what's going on. And then the third thing would be the in-game strategy stuff, which is primarily focused at the major league level, which is also always ongoing and somewhat fits somewhat uh, collides with those predictive tools bucket, but is more sensitive to sort of the spring training schedule kind of gearing up around them to, to make sure all of our uh, tools and documents are in the best spot.
6: Yeah. I think, I think Jesse puts it well. I, I try to think of things in kind of two facets. The first is sort of, Anything that we can do with data to help our team get better in kind of a immediate sense. So that might be things like on-field strategy or, or player development, uh, assisting coaches with h- how to use data in creative ways, um, or player evaluation and, and roster management. And then the other facet is something that I think we have a lot of fun with, which is just always looking to learn as much about the game as possible globally, um, which is a little bit different than specific to our roster or specific to the team we're playing next or anything like that. But just trying to have kind of a global look at where's the game going and, and what can we learn about it? So I think balancing those two things is the best way I can describe the day to day, but I often fail to answer what part of the year is the busy part. <laughs> Cause I think all of those things kind of happen year round.
9: And if I could, I'll add on one more piece, which is that I think, and I think Joel would agree with this, that perhaps the most fun part of the job is, is how much the day to day can change unpredictably Uh, this time of year in particular, while we're working all those things and I might wake up with a plan of what my work day is going to be. There's a decent chance that Justin Hollander or Jerry are going to get in touch and ask us to look into some sort of trade concept or, you know, free agent negotiation that's ongoing and just, look at it from an analytical lens and put some materials together and present an opinion, which is, you know, kind of the thrill for me.
1: The Mariners thrill. I understand that. I get that wholeheartedly. We're joined by Jesse Smith and Joel Furman from the analytics department for the Mariners. Guys, I think there was a time where there was this real clash, right? Between general managers, assistant general managers and the analytics department. And now we're seeing it where those two are, fully cohesive units can you describe as Jesse, you were you were just kind of alluding to that the relationship that you have with Jerry and Justin and then your whole department and how if if you want those two sides to be working hand in hand I mean you have to be speaking the same language you have to be believing the same things not that you're going to agree on everything certainly that would probably be unhealthy but these two units have to work cohesively. It seems as though you have two guys at the top and Jerry and Justin who are very fluent in these concepts and ideas and you are as well. And now it's this perfect marriage. How has that, now that so many of you all have been in the same roles or been promoted within for now the last four or five years, how has this relationship begun to blossom even further in terms of just a, a teamwork and a synergy? Great question. I'd say that, you know, when any, any time, someone new comes in uh, I was working
9: under Jack Z before Jerry came in. And when Jerry, when Jerry showed up, you know, it was obvious that he's a really smart person with a really well-rounded perspective on the game. And you can't expect him to, to dive in and completely buy into the Mariners tools that, you know, he knows nothing about and hasn't seen over a period of time. And, and we haven't educated him on sort of, how they work and, and why they are the way they are. So since that time, I'd say blossom is a good word. You know, I think we're in the best place we've been in terms of we have a, a group of people making decisions that have different perspectives and everyone understands that that those different lenses are additive and that if we were to just always go with one person's point of view when the crowdsource was the other direction that that we would be worse off. And I think that, you know, more concretely, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, we've influenced Jerry a lot in, in how he thinks about the game and vice versa. He's definitely taught us a lot that, you know, our perspective was incomplete in a lot of different ways. And, and Jerry just has a lot to offer in that way. And uh, Justin as
1: well. When we come back, we're going to start to dig a little deeper with both Jesse Smith and Joel Furman from the Mariners analytics department. You're listening to the hot stove report on the Alaska airlines, Mariners radio network. It's hour number two of the Hot Stove Report. We are joined once again by Jesse Smith, the Mariners' Senior Director of Analytics, and Joel Furman, Mariners' Director of Analytics, Aaron Goldsmith, and Gary Hill.
2: And I'm really interested to talk about a name that we've heard, but we haven't had a chance to dive into very much, and that is the acquisition of
6: Chris Flexen. Yeah, yeah, fun guy to talk about. Um, yeah, so Chris Flexen, for those that that don't know, was with the Mets organization two years ago, and then moved over to Korea to play in the KBO uh, and has put up a fantastic season there. Um, and now will be joining us for next season. If we kind of look at what he did in the Mets organization, I think he had some interesting traits even before the move to Korea. I uh, was pitching in kind of a swingman type role starting a little bit, but primarily pitching in relief and kind of averaging maybe two innings per start or, or per outing rather. And he was sitting around ninety-three miles an hour with the fastball, and and doing some good things with a nice changeup, and uh, commanded his slider really well. And I think one of the things that stood out to us in his move to to the KBO was outside of just the surface level performance that he was putting up, which was pretty great, was just that he moved to what is now sort of a bona fide starter role in the KBO, where. He's pitching now six, seven innings per start. And that velocity kind of held constant at, at say, 93 miles an hour. And the rest of the weapons held constant as well. And I think while that doesn't hit you in the face as a huge improvement, if you think about the expectation that when relievers move to a starting role, we would typically expect their weapons to get a lot lighter since they're carrying a, a heavier workload, If you can actually maintain what you were doing as a reliever, but over six innings at a time, now you you have something markedly different as a whole. So I think that was one of the things that really caught our eye. And then we were able to get our hands on some some data from the KBO and kind of dig into individual pitch characteristics. And I think on top of hanging on to the velocity, he added a really interesting curveball that we'd seen some of with the Mets. but not to the degree that we saw on the KBO and we saw him continue to, to command the slider really well uh, and show a really good changeup. So I think just the chance to, to add a, a legitimate starter to your rotation with weapons that, you know, you, you typically find in a reliever is, is we're really excited about.
1: We're joined by Jesse Smith and Joel Furman of the Mariners analytics department. Uh, let's stick with uh, pitching for a moment, guys. I'm curious, your thoughts on Yusei Kikuchi from year one to year two, the surface level numbers indicate that his seasons were roughly identical and ERA much higher than you would have wanted to see from him. Uh, but we saw, man, we saw a huge uptick in just the stuff last year, year two and the underlying numbers, the numbers under the hood also indicate that maybe there was just kind of a case of some generic bad luck for you, say. what is your department seen from, you say, year one versus last year and year two?
6: Yeah, <laughs> another kind of bingo card item. I'm going to take a, a picture with an ERA over five and tell you how good he was last year. It's a very, um, <laughs> you know, baseball analytics thing to do. But I, I was very intrigued with I think we all were with what we saw with Kikuchi this year, despite the, you know, the run prevention struggles, a few things that sort of stood out to us. I think you mentioned just the, the pure stuff really coming to life. I mean, this is a completely different set of, of weapons from, from you say than we've ever seen, uh, you know, consistently throwing the ball over 95 miles an hour with the fastball and, throwing this thing that we can't really decide if it's a cutter or a slider. It's, you know, coming in at 91 to 93 miles an hour with, with some glove side movement and then a a good breaking ball as well. As far as the performance, I think particularly when you're looking into individual seasons of performance and and particularly this year where our season was a third of what it usually is. I think while run prevention can kind of go, any way it wants, uh, your, your ERA type metrics can, can be very volatile from year to year. I think the things that are really, uh, what we'll call as analysts like stable from year to year, they're usually pretty predictive, uh, from one year to the next are things like strikeouts and walks are, are kind of your two. There are other things as well, but I think those are the two things that kind of make up the identity of a, of a pitcher. In really stable terms and you know we saw you say strikeout rate really climb with that new stuff Um, and to go on the other side of the the spectrum there i think one of the things that really bounces around from year to year and and we can really attribute to a lot of luck is just the kind of timing that events happen in and so if you let up six hits over the course of a game and they all happen in a row, that's going to lead to a lot of runs. But if they're scattered over six innings, you might pitch a shutout. And while that may seem like a very sustainable skill at the time, I think the data will tell us that the people that are good at doing that one year are not good at it the next and vice versa. And, and that was an area that you say actually on a per, per batter basis last year was pretty good and just the bad outcomes kind of clustered in a way that was unfavorable. And um, I think we're looking forward to, another shot at things with this, this new version of him.
2: Jesse, who else are you keeping your eye on as we head into 2021? I
9: think our roster right now is, is really fun. Maybe not fun in the likely to win 110 games fun, but in the sort of what it could become, there's a lot of interesting players that have at least the possibility of really stepping up into stardom of of one form or another. But I think, and I think a lot of those are well known. But one that I that I think also I am particularly interested in is another part of the San Diego Hall is uh, Luis Torrens. I think the the narrative with him is I think it's really interesting when you when you dig in, which is that I imagine most fans had really never heard of, Louis, of Luis Torrens or never thought too much of him. But he didn't come out of nowhere. He's had a really strange development path. What the Yankees signed him as. Uh, as an amateur player when he was really young for $1.3 million out of Venezuela. And that's a really high number that you're not handing out to to just anyone. He was a real prospect from a young age. Uh, and the Yankees have a great track record of identifying those guys. And then San Diego comes along and you know, used the rule five draft in a way that is probably not how it was intended to be used exactly. But they thought that this player was special enough that they were willing to put him on their roster for a year, knowing that he was not major league ready so that they could acquire the player because they thought he could be special. And the downside of it, and, and Jerry's really educated me on this is just Doing something like that might make sense for a team to acquire an asset, but it might also really harm a player's development track. Instead of going to age-appropriate competition and progressing, Terenz was thrust into a really difficult situation with sparse playing time. And there's an argument to be made that that would really set back a really young prospect in in, in developing. And then so that uh, in 2018 he goes back to the you know he goes back to the minors and has a, has an interesting season, you know, maybe a little disappointing from his prospect pedigree. And then in 19, he was really good in the minors, like really, really good. And not just that offensively, but his defense improved a ton too. And sort of our boots on the ground. Also, were saying that, you know, the makeup was really strong and that, you know, the leadership, there was potential leadership there. And, and it's not as though the Padres, we're just discarding like, you know, the France and the Trends and trade, they just had a team that was trying to win now and they were willing to like jettison interesting players for, for sure thing type players. And I think we were really able to take advantage of that. And, uh, I think trends did a lot to impress our staff, uh, when he showed up and, uh, you know, we're just, we're really excited to, to see exactly where he goes. Cause he's still, you know what he was, he was playing twenty twenty at age 24. So there's, there's still a lot of progression there if you just want to say maybe remove a year in terms of like the reps he's had for someone his age, uh, there might even be more untapped upside.
1: We have a few minutes left with Joel Furman and Jesse Smith of the Mariners analytics department. Uh, Guys, I'm curious uh, for you to explain to us something that I don't think maybe any of our listeners know about. And that is the brand new semi camera system. If I'm saying that correctly, the uh, semi camera system that's been installed at T-Mobile park uh, this is obviously a, a huge investment on the Mariners' front. Uh, Joel, can you tell us what this is and what information you guys will be able to gather from it?
6: Yeah. Yeah, it's really exciting. Uh, this is a system that can do something that we haven't been able to do in the past, which is actually track the movements of the player's body. So I think... Historically, the things we have been able to track outside of the actual results is more the movement of the ball, like what the ball is doing on any given pitch. And that gives us a lot of information through Trackman and, and other data sources. But what Simi provides is actually what the players are doing and, and particularly what that can tell you about a pitcher, I think is really exciting from a few different perspectives. I think one, we have a lot of really talented pitching minds like. Trent Blank comes to mind and and Pete Woodworth and and Max Weiner, who know a lot about how the body moves and if you can actually track how the body moves in a way that you can quantify the things that they can do in order to enhance performance with that information and and prevent injury and keep guys healthy and things like that. From a pure player development standpoint, I think that provides a lot of value. I think the other piece is that for a long time, we've never understood. It's been hard to understand why pitchers are as good as they are, even if you know how the ball is moving. Even if you know what the ball is doing on any given pitch, there are some pitchers that are just able to be a little bit better or a little bit worse than than what their pitches do. And we suspect that that has something to do with how the body moves around the pitch, what's happening, you know, With are they hiding the ball, are they... Uh, moving in a way that's difficult for the hitter to see, and I think collecting data on the actual pitcher is kind of our next step in into learning more about that. So um, those are the two areas that I, I'm most excited about.
9: I'll uh, I'll tack on, which is that uh, totally agree with everything Joel said. It is a huge investment. I think maybe one way to think about it is oftentimes people will ask us, you know, what's the next frontier in analytics, and uh, where's it going, and the SIMI camera technology is probably one of those things. It's an area where like a, an institution like Driveline is focusing on where they're the, the, the camera is accurate enough that it can pick up these key markers on players in the video and just really streamline this process for you. So you're getting high quality video that's already, you know, uh, sort of cut up to focus on areas that are identified as of interest. So for example, with pitching mechanics, You know, we want to know where the shoulders are. We want to know where the elbows are. We want to know where the hips are and have coordinates tracking those things over time. Joel mentioned there's, we have a lot of pitching minds that already know a ton about that stuff and they know what to look for, but there's a lot that they aren't able to quantify beyond sort of directional understanding of importance. So we might be able to, one, we're going to provide them a lot better information, high quality information on our pitchers. Things like if someone gets out of whack, it'll be really, easy for us to to look at that. But also we might be able to unlock interesting research things. Like Joel mentioned, we don't really know why pitchers are deceptive, but we might be able to look at mark- key markers in their delivery and associate that with what is deceptive and what's not deceptive. That sounds terrifying, like it's going to take forever to figure out if it's there, but just a, a treasure trove of of new data in a way that we haven't haven't been able to
1: explore too much to this point. So is it basically a biomechanics camera system?
9: Yeah. Anytime we're playing a game in, (laughs) we we can't give you the short answer. Anytime we're playing a game in T-Mobile, that thing is going to be running and not just for pitchers. You know, I think we focus on pitchers because uh, injury prevention is such a huge deal, but for batters too, equally, or, you know, perhaps equally as important, still important, a lot to be learned a lot we don't understand about, uh, you know, how we generate force and what leads to injury and uh, how we can optimize
1: certain players. Yeah, I mean, look at this. I mean, the name that comes to mind is is Seager, right? I mean, like, look at Seager before and after and the changes he was able to make to his body and those changes then imparting themselves on his swing. I would imagine that I mean, that in and of itself would be uh, something that you could take away. I, I, I think Mitch Haniger would, like, want the keys to the – to the closet where you guys have this data. Like, this yeah, is are a, a phone call from system.
6: him any minute. <laughs>
9: <laughs> right. It's, it's one of those, it's, it's one of those interesting things where there's so much about uh, a pitching delivery or a batting stance that is, is individualized. You know, what works for one player just simply is not going to work for another player based on how they move and, and how they're built. But there are probably a lot of general truths that we don't fully understand. And, We're not the first team that's, you know, diving in with uh, the really expensive equipment on this, but we're one of the first teams. So uh, it should be exciting.
2: Do the cameras cover just the field? Will they be covering the broadcast booth as well? So like if Aaron makes a bad call, uh, we can look at the data and see what, you know, exactly what happened there, that sort of thing. I'm hoping that's... that's, Some
1: things are incalculable.
6: (laughs) (laughs) yeah. (laughs) there is a hair evaluation component to simi that i think aaron's gonna get a huge kick out of i just don't
1: i just don't want people to know everything that i eat over the course of a game that would be that would be scary i want that is not for public consumption hey uh real quick before we say goodbye i want each of you guys to pick your favorite child because people uh, i think it doesn't surprise people to, to know this but They might not think of it offhand. You guys are so invested in this on a day in, day out, inning by inning basis that there are players that you have helped bring to the Mariners, right? That you guys have been the ones to raise your hand and say, I believe in fill in the blank. And then you are watching him play in front of you. I mean, you have huge impacts on player decisions with the Seattle Mariners. So with that as a lead in, I want to know your favorite Mariners player, like active Mariners player right now. Wow. That's a tough one.
2: Joel.
6: <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I think we were all deprived of watching Logan Gilbert pitch in, in real baseball games this year. And I'm really looking forward to, to that in the upcoming year. So I'll, I'll pick Logan Gilbert. Um, this is someone who, when we drafted Gilbert, I think he did A lot of things that we were really interested in, had a really good breaking ball, really unique fastball properties. And I think one of the things that has really stood out to us since then is just his acumen and hunger to to get better at every component of pitching and something that I have just really admired about him, uh, particularly learning about, you know, where to where the most strategic places to, to throw his pitches are and just really latching to that concept, perhaps more than any, you know, pitcher we have in the organization, uh, latching on to how to improve the shapes of his pitches and being really deliberate about that. Um, you know, even without pitching in competitive games this year, just at the alternate site, we're seeing him do things with his changeup that he's never done before, do things with this slider that he's never done before just the rate at which he's been able to improve uh, this early on in his development. I'm just really excited to see where that goes for him.
1: He's fascinating to speak with. That's, that seems like a very good answer. Jesse, who's your favorite child?
9: I've always been most enamored with the, the everyday position players that, that get it done on both sides of the, both sides of the ball. So it's a really close race between Kyle and JP, I think with uh, obviously with Ty France coming up fast on their <laughs> rear. But uh, I think I I'd go with JP. His whole career is just really interesting to me. I know it's, it's, it's a young crew at the major league level, but I love the way his, I love his approach to hitting. I think he's a, a student of the craft that I think can, you know, could really become a master incredible at decision-making knowing when to swing, just love his tactical approach. And then defensively, I mean, we all saw it last year, you know, he's, he's a monster at, at short and, that was just so awesome to see. Uh, and I just think it's really, you know, something really aesthetic about that kind of, that kind of, of, of a fielder. And then he just really tickles me from like a prospect evaluation because I mean, this guy was like consensus, top 10 prospect for years from really young age. And then kind of, it just didn't develop as quickly as, as, as people wanted it to. And, uh, you know the Phillies got a little impatient, so it's just really cool to watch him uh, start to put it together for us.
6: But a lesson in game theory for you, there, Aaron. I couldn't decide between Gilbert and Crawford, but I knew Jesse was going to touch on Crawford, so <laughs> I, I gave you some Gilbert, uh, Gilbert content.
1: Very, very wise. Wise beyond your years as uh, merely a director, outgaming the senior director, <laughs> if I might say. Very nicely done. Guys, it is always a pleasure talking with you two. Uh, You are so gracious with your time. I was thinking about this earlier in the offseason. I'm not sure that there's another organization in baseball that has the transparency that the Mariners have from Jerry on down, right? And to be able to be so open to share so much of your research and knowledge with us and the fans, the people, the public, it's a it's a great, great service that you guys do by spending time and educating all of us. So thank you for that. Thank you for your time today. And we can't wait to talk even more with you uh, as the season progresses. So thank you
6: so much. Thank you, Gary and Aaron. Thanks for having us. Thanks guys. Always a pleasure.
1: That is Joel Furman, Director of Analytics, and Jesse Smith, Senior Director of Analytics for your Seattle Mariners. When we come back, we've got plenty more Hot Stove. Welcome back. The Hot Stove Report continues. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. And, I man, we are pumped. We're very excited. to be joined by a guy that I remember when he was introduced as a second-round draft pick by the Mariners out of high school in Minnesota in 2017. He has been through it all ever since. Sam Carlson is kind enough to join us from his home in of all places, Savage Minnesota. Sam, it is wonderful to see you. How are you?
10: I'm good, man. I appreciate you and Gary having me, by the way. So I'm excited to be here and uh, look forward to diving into some things.
1: Well, we're, we're excited because you are kind of like like the Yeti of Mariners prospects. You came into the organization with a certain level of hype, this soft or this second round draft pick with this great changeup and a guy who was expected to and still is certainly but at the time especially to be a bright part of the Mariners future Uh, injury strikes and now you have been just rehabbing like an animal Uh, you came to the Mariners as a high schooler and based on all the photos on social media you're a monster (laughs) I mean you are a legitimate grown man you threw three innings Sam in Arizona rookie ball, the year you were drafted in 2017. And nobody would have ever thought that those would be the last three innings you would throw on a competitive mound for years. Take us through what has happened to you from those three innings in 2017 to to present day.
10: Um, So, I mean, take me back to my first year in pro ball. Um, I threw three innings and I ended up hurting my my strain, my UCL, and my flexor. Um, So that was – that was like the first time I've ever had like a, I guess a serious throwing injury. So, um, that, uh, that was kind of, that was an awakening, but I had no idea what I was really in store for. Um, I started the rehab then. Um, and it, it, it really just never got better, man. I never got to a place where I could like compete to my like full capabilities. Um, and it was like, that's my job as a professional baseball player. Like I'm, I have to be able to compete like at a high level and I couldn't get to that high level without extreme amounts of pain and just putting myself in just terrible positions. So after about a year, I ended up having Tommy John surgery. Um, and then I went through that and that's, it's always changing, but 12 to 16 months is what they kind of say, um, is the rehab for that. had that in July of 2018 and, in about July of 2019, I was kind of getting that 12 month mark. Um, and I was just, I was struggling to get over that last hump. Um, there's a mental aspect aspect to it and a physical one. And that last hump was what really got me. I, I really wanted to get into the like get into some games in the end of the season. But at the same time, like, um, I knew, I knew I wasn't ready. The medical staff knew I wasn't ready. And the last thing we wanted to do was, um, push the gas at the wrong time and end up making something way worse than it had to be. So that kind of coasted in coasted into the off season and then come last year, which was supposed to be my first year back. We obviously have found ourselves in the middle of a pandemic. So um, it just kind of continued the snowball of everything, but I was able to play a little bit last year um, through a little bit in North Carolina with some guys with the Mariners. And then, played in the fall league this past, um, or the developmental league is what they call it this past fall. Um, so that was good, man. It was, it, I was just stoked to get back to the mound. It'd been over three years since I'd like face guys in a game. And even though that's not a technical MILB game, like, I mean, I was, I was juiced up and I, We were playing on the backfields for, uh, in Arizona in October.
2: We saw the videos of you, your first pitches back on the mound. I mean, can you describe what that was like taking the mound after all that time and everything you went through to get back on the mound?
10: I was just really happy, man. Like it was, it was just like the certain like feeling you miss as a kid. I didn't, I didn't realize like how badly I missed it until I got out there. Like obviously like it was, I felt like I knew how happy baseball and happy pitching made me. But at the same time, like once I like actually struck a guy out and then was like dang like my arm's good like this is this is something that hasn't happened in a really long time so i was super happy um i had a ton of adrenaline um and then like i just had to try and slow myself down and take what i could from it and learn from it cuz at the end of the day man like i'm i want to help the mariners win a world series one day like that's the end goal Sam
1: Carlson Mariners minor league pitcher with a very bright future is our guest here on the Hot Stove Report Sam you referenced something That is, was like this mythical camp that I've heard Jerry reference, like just very briefly in passing and maybe Andy McKay as well, Mariners farm director, but this group of Mariners minor league guys in some remote forest in North Carolina with a baseball field carved out in it. Like, what was this? Who was there? What were you guys doing?
10: Yeah, there was a, there was a handful of guys. It was a group of, um, obviously there was the 60 man that was in Tacoma or I was in Seattle and then split into Tacoma and then like the alternate site and then like our big league team. but there was ten of us, I think roughly ten of us. Um, a couple guys I, I'm not entirely sure how they picked uh, who went, but a couple guys that came off in or com- were coming off injury mainly it was all pitchers, like three or four guys coming off Tommy John, including myself um, and then a couple guys who were just like just great talents, but they just didn't have room for him on the 60man roster. Just so off the top of my head, like Connor Phillips, who we drafted this past year, Adam Maco, Logan Reinhardt, Levi Stout, Michael Lemonchelli, Those are just a couple of the names that were there with me. And it was, it was a lot of fun, man. We, we got to face hitters, um, live once a week. And I think the biggest advantage that we got from it was when we're all separated like back in our hometowns, like I mean, the training, like you have to have a really good environment to be, especially when you're like in the middle of a pandemic, like they have one kid can't even leave his house cause he lives in New York. And then the other kid lives in like the middle of nowhere. And I mean, Alabama, and he has like a, a full like batting cage in his backyard. Like everyone has like such different living situations and we we're all stayed in a hotel. We all trained at the same place. And I mean, it was as close as we could get to being at a formal like Mariners like event, except we're in Burlington, North Carolina. So, it it was fun, man. My brother was out there at North Carolina; he was a freshman there, so I got to see him quite a bit. Um, he just moved into his campus and I was out, or moved into his dorm when I was out there. But I don't know how many innings I threw, but I definitely that was where I first kind of got back on the mound and gained the confidence that I needed going into the fall uh, developmental league um, in Arizona. So.
2: So how are you feeling coming out of your fall? How do you feel right now?
10: I feel great, man. Like I learned a lot this fall. Um, and I'm just excited for this coming season. And I've been working, working like crazy to get back to where I was and just be able to do what I know I can on the field between the lines um, that I've been so eager to do over the last couple of years, but I've been feeling great the healthiest I've ever been. I'm extremely confident in myself. So I'm just excited.
1: Well, Sam, uh, when I was uh, perusing some of your workout videos for motivation, um, I felt very badly about myself and my (laughs) overall physique. We'll start with that. You did something. I don't know if this has been communicated to you uh, by the training staff down in Peoria, but you did something that from what I have been told, only three other players to my knowledge have done. And that is, jump and touch the banners hanging from the weight room at the complex in Peoria for folks who haven't seen, and probably the majority of people listening, there are uh, championship banners hanging from the very tall ceilings inside the, the weight center at the, the Peoria sports complex where you guys train and, and have your clubhouse. There's a 2001 division title banner. And from what I was told, Tom Murphy, D Gordon, Taiwan Walker are the three etched in stone who have the vertical and the wingspan combined to jump up and touch us. You have done that. Was this told to you? Are you aware the short list of history that you're a part of?
10: So I I am aware of it, but from what I heard, it's, uh, that list is short mainly because I don't think, I think if you had everyone try it, um, if you like forced everyone in the organization to try it, there'd be a lot more names on this list. But I don't know. I was just sitting there one day, and someone someone was like, "Hey, do you think you could touch that?" And I went up and touched it. And then they're like, "What the heck?" And they they kept trying. I can't forget who it was, but he couldn't he couldn't touch it. And then uh, uh, Aaron Rice, I think, he was like telling me how Tom Tom did it in spring training. I didn't know about D in Taiwan, but yeah, it's I mean it's kind of cool. I don't know. I, I think if you made everyone try it, a couple more guys would get it because we do have some really 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 athletic uh, like just at like athletes and pitchers, position players, everything in the org. But yeah, I mean, I played basketball in high school, so I like to, I like to remain athletic as a pitcher.
2: If if there's any way we could get a video of Aaron trying it (laughs) and and being like four feet short, (laughs) that would be the greatest.
10: Honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it, put it past Aaron. I mean, I don't know. I guess I haven't really seen Aaron jump, but um (laughs)
1: It's I not, mean, we can solve that. We can solve that easily. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what do you man. think? Is it? I mean, it's clearly over ten feet tall, right? Uh, like yeah, like ten and I think a couple so. of inches. They,
10: they, 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 threw out some numbers, but I don't, I don't know what to believe, man. I couldn't, I couldn't give you like an actual. I'd, I'd be lying to you if I told you I knew a real number.
1: Uh, I'm gonna need. I'm gonna need an official measurement once we get down to Peoria. The fact that Murphy, who was just like Russian deadlifter style (laughs) and get up there and touch it. I mean, he is just one gigantic muscle is impressive.
10: He's he's an animal. I I think he has the highest vertical jump in the whole organization. Wow.
1: that, That is amazing. And yet based on what we've learned about Tom Murphy, it doesn't surprise me. We've got a few minutes left with Mariners minor league pitcher, Sam Carlson. Sam, you've been in this really bizarre state as you, you took us through your journey where you've kind of, been without teammates by and large over the course of your minor league career you've had guys who are rehabbing at the same time that you are and those guys can range in age and experience levels so with that being said uh, who's a guy or two since you've been a part of the organization in 2017 that you've really gelled with clicked with and started to lean upon
10: oh man there's there's so many I mean the first of all the Mariners do an unbelievable job of like when they when they draft a player they they're they're making sure that they like are good are good teammates and they are good people so there's not many guys who come in where you, you just you really don't get along with but there is so many amazing dudes but you are right in the fact that um, most of most of my close friendships within the org are through Tommy John um, and through that experience because I haven't been on a full season team. Um, And even though those guys, like I know them all and I've been around them a ton. um, I haven't been in that, that clubhouse experience where you're striving to make the playoffs or something like that um, on a full season team. So, I mean, I I could sit here and name names forever. There's there's a ton of good dudes. I I love them all.
1: Sam, uh, I just looked up the weather in Savage, Minnesota, as we speak. It's warmer than I thought. It's 23 degrees from what, oh. what I'm being told here in Seattle. Which sure I would have taken yeah. the effort on that, wouldn't you?
2: Oh, for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that does not account for wind chill. Hey, this seems like a good time in Savage to be inside either – Uh, doing some baseball work or taking some online classes you're taking college classes you were uh, after Tommy John uh, surgery kind of put you on the shelf for a little bit tell us where you're taking the classes from and what you're studying
10: yeah so I'm taking uh, I've I've been taking online classes through Arizona State um, since I uh, had Tommy John surgery back in 2018 Um, and I'm studying uh, management through the business school management and a minor in entrepreneurship. So, um, I've been digging away at those. It keeps me busy. Um, there's only so much baseball you can do in a day. And I mean, I'm certainly giving it my all in that, in that realm, but I was also an 18 year old kid who got drafted out of high school. So there's, uh, there's cognitive things I want to keep sharp too.
1: (laughs) Well, that's very cool, man. You're, you're an impressive young man. You've already been through more in your career than what some guys have in a decade plus long career so credit to you for keeping your chin up and putting yourself in such a good position now mentally and physically we cannot wait Uh, I know you are even more excited but we cannot wait to see you up on a mound when that day comes and we're so appreciative of your time tonight thank you for joining us on the hot stove report
10: yeah I appreciate it thanks for having me again Gary and Aaron Uh, it was fun There is Mariners
1: minor league pitcher Sam Carlson, who, my goodness, good to see him in person, good to hear his voice, and uh, we are excited to see him pitch once again. Well, baseball is just around the corner, and the best way to catch the action of the Mariners this season is with a 2021 Flex membership. It's the most flexible plan in the game, allowing you to attend the games you want, sit where you want, and spend what you want, all with no deposit required. For information on how you can become a Flex member, text 21 to 71532. More Hot Stove Report when we come back. It's great to have you on the Hot Stove Report tonight, Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. Hey, this show's been around for a long time, but that doesn't mean we can't try new things. We're trying something new this week. We hope to bring the future shows. We want to hear from you. In fact, we want to hear your voice. Send us your recorded message. Just use your phone. Email it as an attachment. Marinerspod at mariners.com. Marinerspod.com at mariners.com you can email us anytime this week we put a call to action out on social media to hear exactly that and we got our first question for the show from the one and only charlie brown who as you might be able to tell isn't exactly from around here hello
0: charlie brown here calling all the way from london england with my question we were all over the moon last year to get any sort of baseball but one of the big sadnesses of course was not having any minor league play, and all the fun of hearing about who's coming up through the system and looking like the stars of the future. Now we all know about exciting lads like Jared, J-Rod and Emerson, but who would you say are the lesser known names that we should look out for, who have some real potential to break out this year? Cheers and all the best from us international fans in faraway time zones who can't wait to be cheering on our beloved M's at silly o'clock in the morning.
1: Go Mariners! What can I say? What a perfect first question for the <laughs> Hot Stove Report, Charlie Brown. Thank you for sending it in, all the way from London, uh, Gary. This is a great question. What's uh, a name that you've picked up on that's a little under the radar?
2: It's a great question that's presented perfectly. I mean, that was a, that was that was everything about that was phenomenal. So the name that I keep hearing in conversations, I think in our first Hot Stove show, even Jerry brought him up but it's a name I've heard four or five times now in different conversations including from some of the prospect guys Levi Stout is a name to keep in mind in fact earlier this show Sam Carlson was talking about Levi being with him and they're throwing in North Carolina but he is a prospect to watch he was a third round draft pick by the Mariners he was injured to start which is why he's gone under the radar a little bit and he's been out and now back and healthy and just People are raving about how good he is. So Levi Stout is a name to watch. Pitcher, really good stuff, and seems to be a quick riser. So once we get into the minor league season, watch him.
1: Okay, we've got some things in common with our two picks. You go with Levi Stout. I'm going to go with Adam Mako. Both guys, 2019 draftees, both showed big velo and just kind of overall stuff improvements during the hybrid fall instruct league down in Arizona. Uh, You're right. In in Stout's case, Tommy John, immediately after the draft, he's now healthy, looking great. Mako, meanwhile, a high school draft draftee, made some real velocity developments during the shutdown, has looked fantastic during the fall instructs. And most importantly, if Adam Mako makes the major leagues, he'll become the third Slovakian-born player to reach Major League Baseball. So that's reason enough to root for him.
2: Who were the first two? <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: funny you ask. Jack Quinn, who had a phenomenal career from 1909 to 1933.
2: Oh yeah. What? Yeah, so sounds that <laughs> even possible. That's a
1: long time. <laughs> yep, he he played till he was 49 years old, uh, a 23-year major league career. And then uh most re- most recently, Elmer Vallo who was born in Slovakia uh he played in the majors for 20 years and retired after the 1961 season so hey let's add Adam Mako to the list at some point
2: yeah and when you have a playing career that matches the average lifespan at the time (laughs) it's pretty impressive
1: (laughs) uh so we're pulling for both those guys both guys have uh, made some real jumps in a short period of time and have generated some buzz internally, even though you might not see them with a prospect status, at least not yet. When we come back, we wrap up the show. It's the hot stove report. A lot of fun. Once again, right here on the hot stove report, Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. In the first hour, we had a chance to hear from Mariners infielder, Ty France. Just to
3: have that comfort of knowing, you know, this organization wants me and they want me in the lineup every day. You know, it's a, it's a huge boost for me. And, uh, No, I'm definitely looking forward to this challenge.
1: No doubt Ty will be a big part of the Mariners in 2021 and moving forward. We always enjoy talking things over with Joel Furman, the Mariners director of analytics, who had high praise for Mariners minor league pitcher Logan Gilbert.
6: One of the things that has really stood out to us since then is just his acumen and hunger to, to get better at every component of pitching and something that I have just really admired about him, uh, particularly learning about, you know, where to, where the most strategic places to, to throw his pitches are, and just really latching onto that concept, perhaps more than any, you know, pitcher we have in the organization.
1: Hey, along the lines of great young pitchers, we finally had a chance to catch up with a guy that people always want to know what he's up to. And that is Sam Carlson.
10: I learned a lot this fall, um, and I'm just excited for this coming season. And I've been working, working like crazy to get back to where I was and just be able to do what I know I can on the field between the lines um, that I've been so eager to do over the last couple of years. But I've been feeling great the healthiest I've ever been. I'm extremely confident in myself, so I'm just excited.
1: Great to hear Sam's voice. Happy he is healthy and can finally get back on a competitive mound in this upcoming season. Jesse Smith is the Mariners' senior director of analytics, and he reminds us: do not forget about Luis Torrens. I think Torrens did a lot
9: to impress our staff uh, when he showed up, and uh, you know, we're just we're really excited to to see exactly where he goes because he's still, you know, what he was he was playing 2020 at age 24, so there's there's still a lot of progression there. If you just want to say maybe remove a year in terms of like the reps he's had for someone his age, uh, there might even be
1: more untapped upside. Well, our thanks to Ty France, to Sam Carlson, and also Joel Furman and Jesse Smith from inside the Mariners Analytics Department for joining us here on the Hot Stove Report tonight. Well, the Mariners can't wait to welcome you back to T-Mobile Park. Don't forget that you can create your own ballpark experience by selecting the games you want, the seats you want, and the number of tickets you want with a Mariners Flex membership. All for no deposit. For more information, text 21 71532 well, We're so glad you could be with us tonight on the Hot Stove Report. Gary, as always, for folks who maybe missed part of the show or simply
2: want to hear something for a second or third time, where can they find it? Third time, that'd be great. Third or fourth time. It would be excellent. Mariners Pod. Mariners.com podcast. Uh, follow it on Twitter at Mariners Pod. It always, whenever one's released, you'll get the tweet. Mariners Pod is where to find the show. You will find it as soon as tomorrow morning. Yes. <laughs>
1: We're so glad you could be with us tonight. For Gary Hill, I'm Aaron Goldsmith. We'll talk to you again next Tuesday at 7 o'clock.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better